This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, which is coming right before that, but it's all in the discourse where Jesus is starting to really train up people in what following after him really means and what the cost of following after him is. Uh, because he is now, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, he has, in a sense, been rejected by the religious leaders. They don't want to have anything to do with him. And so he's turning his attention and his training towards, okay, for those of you who are following me, here's what following me is like. So we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. It goes like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for, your, uh, for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, the issue of our heart and our money is one that is close to every single person in this room. And so as we read from Luke chapter 12 and as we, um, we hear from you, pray your spirit would bring conviction and also a way we could follow after you faithfully that we might live rich toward you. So guide us in your word um, that we might hear from you um, and not just from our own minds or our own ideas but that we hear from you as your son is speaking and we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, so I'm not, some of you guys have like shows that are like your go-tos. I don't have necessarily always go-tos but I do, if, it's, if I can find an episode, I like the show American Pickers. You guys ever watch American Pickers? Yeah, good old family fun. Uh, but when you think about the premise of that show, it's both sad and you go, huh, I don't, that's kind of a crazy way to live. Now, if this is you, just pretend I'm not talking to you or about you. But, right, if you haven't seen the show, it's basically a bunch of people who have way too much stuff, who then, right, there's like two guys, they show up and they're like, hey, we're the pickers, we want to, you know, walk through all your stuff and make you offers on it. And so then they take that and they fix it up and they sell it, hopefully, for more. That's always the plan. But you'll find some of these like off the beaten path people and you'll see they'll have like warehouse after warehouse after warehouse of just stuff. Room after room, thing after thing of just stuff. And many of us go, oh, well, that's not me. I'm like, well, if I, you know, you could probably throw away half your house and still have a ton. So it's all of us. But you do just see all of these things. And it's funny because they'll start to uh, make offers, Right? They're like, hey, you know, I'll give you whatever for this. And they get into this haggling thing. But you will often find in this kind of dance back and forth that the one who has all the property has a really hard time letting go of things. Right? So, so it, it's like it's covered in dust. You've never seen it before, right? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, my, my dad put that there 50 years ago. 
but they know exactly where it is, and it still has some amount of sentimental value to them, and so like, I just can't part with that. And you're like, you haven't even been in this warehouse in 25 years. You didn't even know that that thing was underneath this. Like, apparently you did, right? It's like you, 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 you really, really care that much about it that you can't part with it for money even, right? Like it's not like they're just taking it. They're paying you for it. But this is the human heart when it comes to possessions. We love stuff. Americans in particular love stuff. It's kind of baked into who we are. We love to collect, we love to gain, we love to grow. Like, we don't downsize, we upsize everything, right? You don't go to McDonald's and they're like, would you like to get that smaller? No, like, you want to supersize it? Heck yeah, I want to supersize that thing. So they never, they never want you to go down. If you're buying a house, right, they're not like, I think you could do less. You could get a smaller house. Your realtor would never say that to you. You could, I mean, if, unless you have a good one. But like, you know, if you're going to buy a car and you don't pay cash for cars and people will be like, well, how much can you afford per month? You're like, oh, well, I can maybe, you know, whatever, 100 bucks a month, however many it is. You're like, okay, well, if I put you on like a 120 month plan, then I can get you this car at that payment. So you're like, uh, I don't want to pay for 10 years on this car, but you don't think about it because all you're thinking about is what you can pay per month, right? We love to attach our mind to stuff. Our hearts get attached to stuff. We have so many things. We don't know uh, what to do with them all, and yet we still accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Well, Jesus teaches us about that. Remember, Luke 12, he's starting to talk to his disciples about what it means to follow him. This week and next, we're going to talk about two, I mean, I can say hot button, everything's kind of a hot button uh, if you get offended enough, but we're talking about two specific parts of following after Jesus that are close to almost all of us, but they definitely affect every single person in this room. This week, it's money. Next week, it's marriage. Both of those things. Jesus is teaching on money, and Jesus is teaching on marriage, specifically regarding divorce. So that's what's coming this week and next, because I was going like, what is Jesus teaching about following him? And we get to see the way that he pulls at people's hearts and exposes some of how they are frustrated, some of how they are set on the wrong thing. So we're going to look at this passage. It's just a few verses, 13 through 21 of Luke chapter 12, and it, just, it really has three, it's all one point, but it kind of moves in three sections, right? So the first is this Jesus' warning against greed and wealth. It's just the first uh, 13, 14, and 15. Kind of sets off the whole exchange. So there's somebody in the crowd, and they say to him, hey, teacher, you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So bro's getting a little more, and so goes to Jesus and says, could you please settle this concern? You have, an author- you have authority, we're listening to you, we like you, could you get engaged in this? I love Jesus' response. Who made me a judge and an arbitrator over you? Now, we would say, I would hope, Jesus is kind of judge of all. Jesus is able to judge all. He does that. He's perfect, so he could. But what he's saying in this is not, I can't judge, I don't judge. What he's saying is, I am not concerned about your earthly concern. I'm not interested in trying to kind of haggle between brother and brother against how the will's going to go. That's not what I am here to do. So he's not saying, I'm not a judge. I don't have right to judge. What he's saying is, I'm not entangling myself in these concerns, which sounds a little bit like 
Paul's instruction to Timothy, doesn't it? You know, farmer, soldier, athlete, they don't entangle themselves in civilian or plain kind of earthly concerns, but they are focused on the task beyond living just for this world. So Jesus is like, I'm not doing that. And he gives us, in verse 15, he gives a charge. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Yet, whenever you buy a house, you bring people over and you show it to them. Right? So life does not, you know, it's not, not about one's possessions until you show it off. And you all want to show it off. Come look at the car I bought. Come look at the house I bought. Come look at the thing I did. Come look at this. Come look at that, right? And so we're finding a lot of value in the things that we have, even though Jesus is explicitly saying, hey, watch out for that because your life does not consist of this. He's going to show you what it consists of here in a moment. So in order to drive the point home, Jesus gives an illustration about life and possessions. He, he says this, don't hoard, but there's a reason for it, which is because your perspective needs to be right. So he tells the parable. What are parables? Parables are teachings that uh, teach eternal truths that sometimes, sometimes are hard for us to, to get, but Jesus often will clarify, which is nice. So he tells a story. Look at it. There was a rich man and his land produced plentifully. That's a good thing. Right? Like, hey, he's had, he, 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 his land produced plentifully. God is blessing that. He has what he needs. He has all the grain. He has all the crops. And so the guy thought, oh, man, what do I do with all my stuff? Right? That's my Hans's transliteration of verse 17 or translation of 17. I have nowhere to store all this stuff. I have more stuff than I need. I already had a ton. Now what do I do with it? And he got together with himself and he had a great idea. I'm going to make bigger vehicles for my things. Right? Not vehicles, like, like containers. I'm going to make bigger things to hold my possessions. That's a good idea. I'm going to pack them full. <clears throat> so I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I don't need those. They're too small. I'm going to build bigger ones. And I'll store everything there. Then, then, this is what's going to happen in verse 19. I'll say to my soul, hey, you have ample goods for many years. Relax, eat drink, be merry, just take it easy. You've earned it. You've had, you've worked hard, your land produced, clearly you are smart with money. I'm going to go ahead and just kind of throttle back and coast. That's what I'm going to do. Then God shows up. Well, thanks a lot. God says, first, the language that he uses about this man's perspective. One kind of declarative word. Fool, fool, fool. Like you, you don't hear, it doesn't, we don't hear God use that word a lot, right? Like, like that word attributed to God. But God's actually saying in the parable, fool. And it's like, why in the world would you think this is the way to live? And he's gonna say, okay, so hey, this night, tonight, your soul's required. You're done on this earth. And now think about this. And the things you've prepared, the barns you have, those big storehouses, Whose will they be? You're not taking it with you. And then go back to the beginning of this passage. Somebody's concerned about an inheritance, right? Like, no, all that's going to be happening is people going to be arguing over what the kind of stuff that you get, like of, of yours. So now they, oh, well, who's going to get dad's barn? And who's going to get this one? Who's going to get this? Let's call the American Pickers. Like, let's figure that out. 
whose stuff is it going to be? And so in that moment, in that moment, Jesus is trying to point out the eternal significance of temporal decisions, which is there isn't really any. There isn't really any. There is no reason to be this concerned because when you die, it's over. It's done. And yet our lives, there are moments in our lives where things become clear in an earthly sense. Often for us, it has to do with the health of people that we love. Right? So if we're concerned about family, if we're concerned about friends, our children, our parents, our grandparents, and you could have the biggest fight in the world until you get a cancer diagnosis. And then you're like, you know what? None of this matters. Have you ever had those moments? You have the moment where you realize like something's going on and you are ready to be super concerned and then boom, done. And all of a sudden, any concern that you had is out the window because it no longer matters. Because something with much greater significance has showed up in the room and you have to deal with that. Jesus is saying in this parable, when the Lord shows up, your life is over. Now what do you care about? That's the question that he asks. But it's so hard for us, right, because the scriptures say, walk by faith, not by sight, right? That's that kind of that idea. We want to we walk by faith. We don't want to just kind of look around and see. And yet, we still live by sight. We watch the stocks. We have retirement accounts. We watch our retirement accounts. We diversify. We add. We build, right? Many of us don't have barns. But we just kind of put our money in different vehicles to hold on to it and do these kinds of things. So for Jesus reminding us that we shouldn't be too worried about our stuff and our things, that there's something of much more significance and not to live for this world, we still often find ourselves living for this world moment by moment. He tries to bring it home by going, when your life is done, when you have nothing, your stuff is somebody else's and your soul's required of you. And it's just, a, it, it's unfortunate even for us in our human hearts. Like we hear that and we go, yeah, yeah. But I still want stuff. And I still like stuff. And it's cool to have stuff and to show off stuff, right? It's like, that's what we love to do. So it's just fun for us. Jesus is trying to teach us. So he brings this lesson home. His expectation for his disciples is verse 21. He kind of goes, here's the point, guys. So this is what it's like for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, lives for this world, adds and adds and adds and adds and adds, thinks that he or she can throttle back, just live a nice, comfortable, cushy life until life's over, then life's over, and you go, oh no, I was going the wrong way the whole time. And I look at this phrase, so is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And I had a really hard time going, rich towards God? Like, what does rich towards God mean? I, I, like, how do, you, how do you be that? So, I think some of the clue for us is as the story continues. In fact, all of Luke chapter 12 is helping us here. So somebody wants... More, they want to split the inheritance with their brother. Jesus says, watch your hearts for greed. 
Let me tell you why. Tells a story. Your soul's asked of you. Thus is what it's like for someone who stores up treasure for himself or herself, lives for this world, and is not rich toward God. The end, you go, okay, so be rich toward God. Like, how do I do that? How do I know if I'm doing that, right? And it's all about, I think, perspective. So this is what I see. Because if you look at the next parable, the next story, and often your Bible is going to put a little division there so you don't see it. But if you look at the next story, what you're going to find is this. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, and this goes, about, goes to his pastor's teaching on anxiety. Therefore I tell you. So, so listen to that, right? Because if you ever do like Bible study methods, I'll say, you know, if there's a therefore, you've got to find out what it's therefore, right? right? Yeah, good job, guys. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we are, we are ready. We are full of Bible scholars. So uh, yeah, so therefore, Jesus is, the, he's concluding something, isn't he? Therefore, I'm going to kind of bring this down. Don't be worried about your life. Don't be worried about your possessions. Don't be worried about what you may or may not have. Don't be worried about, well, do I have enough for the next 15, 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, 95, 105, 2 million years? Do I have enough for that? Jesus like, just, just, just relax. Because you'll get super anxious about being sure your barns are big enough, being sure you have enough things, being sure that everything's good for you. Don't worry about that. Then you look at verse 32 of chapter 14, as he's, or chapter 12, as he continues that, he goes, Fear not, little flock, for you're the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That is, you have and will inherit all that God has, all the riches of eternity, life with God, you already have that, so don't fear for the things that you don't have in this world because you are much more provided for than you even think. And he gets into some ideas, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves money bags that don't grow old, treasure in the heavens that do, that do not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. For there your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I look at Luke 12 and his teaching about the rich fool and his teaching about anxiety. These two things really go together. If you're providing, you just keep hoarding and hoarding and hoarding and adding and adding and adding and you're kind of live this life. Well, first of all, that perspective is foolish, but why do you do that in the first place? You do that in the first place because you do not trust that God is the one who actually provides, that God is the one who gives you what you need, and that God has given you not just things in this world, but for all of eternity. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you're living as if the things God has said are not true, that they don't matter. Now, there's always this question, so I'm going to try and address it briefly here. Does that mean it's, it's ridiculous to save? I would say, nope. It doesn't mean it's ridiculous to save. It might be, and you know, I, I, like, there's not like this, when are you being unfaithful? So I was like, well, when, have you, when, is, when are you saving too much? I'm like, I don't know the question, or the answer to that question, because I don't know. I don't know the demands that exist for your family. I don't know the needs it costs for you guys to live. I don't know the financial demands or whatever else exists for you. But I do know that there is a trigger that often happens in our hearts where we're operating in a way that's like, well, I just need a little more. And so I'll just keep hoarding and hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. Nor do I think that this passage is don't save for retirement. And the reason I say that is this. You will hit an age or a time when people do not want to pay you for your services. They can find cheaper labor elsewhere. 
And so you, you kind of age out. And you, and like, you go, oh, that's, that's a shame. But like, that's how it works. And you can use, if you are wise with your finances now, I'm talking to you who are 20 and 30 and 40. If you're wise with your finances now, when that time comes, think about all the ministry impact that you can have when you were unburdened from a nine to five. So by applying wisdom even now, when you get to that age of retirement, it's not just about being grandpa and grandma, it's about seeing disciples of all nations being built up. And so it doesn't mean spend every dollar that you have. I totally understand saving, I get that idea, but you do have to watch that trigger where you're just like hoarding and afraid of what might come and you're living in anxiety. Okay. So Jesus' parable, be on guard. Well, look at that rich man and how foolish he was. So is the same for you if you live for this world and you're not rich toward God. So the question, how are we rich towards God? How are we rich towards God? That's gonna be the hard one for us to try and figure out. So I wanna give a couple, a couple of perspectives and ideas here that at least can help be diagnostic for us. Can at least help be diagnostic. How I restore God first, heart. Heart has to do with the seat of our affections and our delight. When your heart is satisfied in something, you do not need other things. Now I'll use a marital example. When your heart is satisfied with your spouse, you don't go looking for another. Catch my drift? When you see what God has given you and the provision that he has for you, you don't need to go try and find some type of other provision. When the heart is content and delights in the right things, it doesn't try to go haywire and go look for others. And so, a heart that is content in God means have we found him as most important. And if we find him as most important, then that line that we hear in uh, that song we sometimes sing in church, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Meaning, the things that we look at, the possessions, life, possession, all of those things get diminished in any amount of value because we have treasured something completely different. For us, maybe we treasured someone completely different. So for our hearts is our delight in God. I was talking to somebody even recently about this. <clears throat> I said, what's your concern? He said, my concern is I'm not gonna have enough money. I'm not gonna have enough money. And honestly, like, I, I, I joked, like, the longer you're in pastoral ministry and just in ministry of any kind, like, the fewer and fewer problems people have. And it's all the same kind of thing. It's just recycled in different expressions. But money and how much they have and do they have enough and will they have enough and all those things, that's a big one. And, and I was listening to him talk to me, right? And I, like, trying not to be super advice giver because that's just often a waste. So tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're thinking, why you feel this way, why are you more concerned about money. I just don't know. And I'm like, okay. And then they'll have these kind of phrases where you can show the distance between these two ideas. I'm concerned I won't have enough, but I know God will provide for me. I go, well, then one of those ideas is winning the day, right? Like, you, you can't hold both of those together and be at peace, clearly, because you seem pretty stressed out. 
And so your heart isn't treasuring God. Your heart's really treasuring things. But that's often where many of us are. And sometimes, and this is really the Lord's grace, sometimes he takes it from us so that our hearts can be rooted in delight in him. That's a really, really kind thing of God to do. Because money's an insulator. I had a, uh, one time, <clears throat> a gal I knew, Eileen, she said it like this. Uh, money doesn't make life better, but sometimes it makes it easier. And I was like, I get that. You know, it's nice to be able to pay a bill, you know, and not have to stress about it. I get that. But her point was like, but it doesn't, it doesn't really make it better. But it insulates us from that feeling of emptiness that we often have. Because we can just keep ourselves busy with things. But when those things start to disappear, we realize how hollow they are. When we fear things of this world, and we try to live for this world, our hearts can't be rich toward God. Because we have built our lives in the soil of this earth. How we reach towards God, we have to start with our heart. And so, I would say if anybody, we'll just say it in an earthly sense, if anybody had a right to be bugged with his earthly accommodations, it would probably be Jesus. Like, if anybody. And the reason I say it is because he made everything. Right? John chapter 1, we saw that. We looked at Hebrews chapter 1. It's also in Colossians, like the creator of all things, over all things. He's a king. Kind of nice. Cattle in a thousand hills has everything at his disposal. If anybody would be bugged about how his earthly accommodations were looking and the amount of things that he had, you'd think it would be the king of the world, the universe, Jesus. And yet not once does Jesus say, if only. Why? Because his delight was to do the will of his Father. Obeying his Father was his treasure. The relationship that he had with his Father was his delight. And so, when somebody says, hey Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And he goes, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's not saying that as a gripe. He's just saying, you follow me, you don't know what's coming, but it's better. So Jesus is our example. He shows us what a contented life is. A right to everything. And yet in obedience to his father said, no all of it so that we might have life for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and because of Jesus' obedience we can enter into that so hearts one what comes right from that is also perspective to know that God has given us everything that we need ooh I don't want to I don't want to think about that I don't want to think about as God giving me everything I need because I want to go on nice vacations Right? Like, and, and so we have this way of kind of escalating God's provision to like, well, he didn't give me that. 
or that, or that, or that. We just kind of keep going up this ladder ascending as if that is really what life is, and that is not what life is. For life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions or the quality of their vacations or the pictures on their Instagram account. Like, that's not what it is. And yet, if our perspective's wrong, that will always be what we think it is. And it's funny because as a church, we will reinforce these things. Again, as I just said at the beginning, like, 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 oh, life isn't about possessions until you show off all the cool possessions that you have. Until you're happy to kind of parade them out and go, look at this, 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 like, right? No one's like, hey, you want to see this super old car I just bought for $500? Kind of a piece of junk. Like, no one says that. No one says that. No one shows off their junk. Why? Because you're not going to care about it. We show off our prized possessions. So we as a church will reinforce the wrong perspective. And then all of a sudden as we're training this, just, just by habit, we're training our children, we're training others in the church, we're training younger believers to think this is really what it's about. Because this is what happens, right? If the Lord has called us into disciple making, everyone's watching. People are always watching. And they're like, well, I saw my pastor, I saw my small group leader, I saw my friend, or I saw someone in the church care about it, and so I assumed that it was okay to care about. And so we kind of enter into this echo chamber of caring for the wrong things rather than promoting and delighting in that perspective of God has given us everything that we need. I was talking to a friend recently, he, he and his wife just miscarried again. It's been a lot. And I was talking to him a few weeks ago before, before they had miscarried, but they were concerned. He said, I was remembering a conversation I had with you, Hans, where you gave me some advice. And I said, what advice, what advice did I give? <laughs> hope it was good. He goes, you, you told me that God, uh, God doesn't owe me anything. Like, that doesn't sound like me. That's pretty good advice. Like, I don't think I would have said that. Um, he goes, no, it was you, and I think about it all the time. I was like, well, I don't even remember saying it, and you catch me on the wrong day, and I wouldn't say it. I said, you deserve this. You deserve that. You deserve this. He's like, I have to root myself in God doesn't owe me anything because he's giving me everything that matters. And as much as I would love to have children, I have no children. As hard as it's been, I have nothing. There's nothing there. But I am not entitled to it. Not entitled to it. Somebody should write down that advice. Can't believe I said that. Maybe, maybe I was more mature back in the day. Perspective. God has given us what we need. Finances. I gotta talk about it. There is, when you are content in God, you start becoming more generous. Your generosity increases. Why? Because you realize the generosity of your God. That he has given to you everything. And when people have given to you everything, I so often think of the story Jesus tells of the super stingy guy who was forgiven a lot and then like goes and holds three cent debts over people like he's gonna kill them and send them to jail because he's just so mad about it. That's us. God has given me so much and he's forgiven everything. But I'm mad at you for the way you looked at me. <clears throat> right, like, like we, and we can't even, we can't even do that. We aren't generous with our, 
homes and our lives and our finances. Why? Because we're probably afraid that if we start becoming more generous, we will stop having the things that we need and we are changing our perspective from God has given me all I need to I need to really be sure I have what I need. I think Genesis should be a church, and I think you would agree in our right minds, that is, I'll use the phrase stupidly generous, uh, where you're starting to go, uh, is that wise? Because it's always our favorite line, like, is it wise for you to do that, right? Like, it's always our way of kind of protecting. Like, well, Jesus counted the wisdom of this world foolish, so if we drop that line without consideration, maybe we're applying the wisdom of the world to the situation. Now, to the person who's like, I give everything away and I have nothing, I'm like, well, okay, like you should probably, maybe having a place to live would be okay. But our finances and our possessions, are we generous with them? Are our homes places of ministry that we gladly share? Or do we have things that we're afraid will break? If they break, they break their ruin. My grandfather had a, a line. I didn't know he said it, I think, until after he had passed away. Uh, but he would say it to his children when his grandchildren would show up at his house. And they had stuff, and it was a cool house. Uh, but he would say, if, it's, uh, if it can break, it's not worth having. That was his line. Just to kind of put people at ease to go, I don't really care when you come over with your kids if things are going to break. Uh, because it's only a really worth having breakable things that I don't get concerned about. And he has some nice things in his house, and my brother, or somebody, I'm gonna blame my brother, because he's not here, um, took some of those really nice things, or like misplaced them, and so he, you know, he doesn't care about it anymore, because he is no longer living, but I'm pretty bugged. But still, that perspective, I'm not concerned about my stuff. That's really hard. It is really hard. I even thought I was gonna like prepare this, what if I just burned a $100 bill here at the, you know, and all of you would freak out, but then I was like, well, I, kinda, I might need that. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't want to make it the sermon about where Hans burns a $100 bill. Treasure up, uh, stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Where's our heart? Where's our perspective? Where are our finances? I would encourage you, absolutely encourage everybody here, that if you do not have a disciplined way to give regularly, you're missing out on that training of your heart to not get caught up in possession. So often what we'll try to do, especially as we're young believers we're trying to figure out this giving thing, is we will start to kind of tally up and then at the end of the month we'll go, okay, guys, I have 40 bucks left. We'll give 40 bucks. But that actually, that's, not, that, that's unplanned generosity, which is actually stinginess. Like, okay, well, we'll just kind of do the ledger and after all our bills are paid, this month was a harder month. So no, 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 no. Like, like if you take FPU or if you talk to me or anybody else who does this, like we're gonna go, no, you plan that thing first. Like your, your generosity and your contributions to the work of the Lord, that comes first. The other stuff comes after that. So you don't go, how big is my mortgage? You go, how big of a house should I get so that I do not forsake my generosity and in fact might even be able to increase it. So flip it. You, can't, you cannot be generous if you're holding out until the end of the month or the end of the quarter or whenever it might be to figure out how much you have left. Because that's not generous. That means you spent your money on your stuff and you haven't had a disciplined way of contributing. And I don't just mean always give to Genesis, though I certainly do mean that. Give to Genesis, not always. 
But like, give to missionaries and people who are going to bring the gospel overseas. Do that. People who are reaching the unreached, give them your money. But have a disciplined way to contribute. And just me, Hans, this is just Hans, this is not like Bible says in this way, uh, but I would always encourage church first, right, and contribute in your disciplined way to the church that's feeding your soul, people who care for you and love you and support you, like that. And then as you are, both as God provides and as you are able, look for other ways to contribute. Other ways to contribute. And then always be praying for and finding ways to increase both of those whenever you can. And so I'm gonna encourage you, like when you get a raise, don't just kind of keep that same percentage of giving, but increase it. Why? Because if you're smart, you're already living below your means. So an increase in your salary means just what do we get to do with it, right? Like it just becomes fun. But if you're always kind of bumping against it, or you're like most Americans, you're like 102 or 103% of their income, every raise is like, I hope this helps us to cover the difference. Hope this helps close the gap between what we're spending and what we're making. But living below your means is actually a demonstration of your contentedness. It's a demonstration of how you are content. And then, I speak to those who might be in the position of the rich fool. Listen to these words again in verse 19. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I think that Luke 12, 19, as well as other passages for us, is going to be a forever challenge against the idea that if you can save enough for retirement, you can just enjoy retirement and do whatever you want. As if the last 15, 25, 30 years of your life somehow are just yours to do whatever you want with. They belong to the Lord too. And the Lord is confronting, I think, that perspective of, oh, now that I have made so much during my job, I'll just go ahead and kind of ride out the rest of my life because I have everything that I need. I'm great. I'm going to travel the world, do what I want, but I will talk to people at times who have this perspective. I'm going to retire early so I can do whatever I want. Like those would be words that would never come out of Jesus' mouth when they should never come out of his disciples' mouths. I just do whatever I want. Mm-mm, right? That is not the whoever does not take up his cross and come after me cannot be to my disciple. That mentality cannot fit into Luke 24, or 14, 26, and 27, our memory verse from last week. It doesn't fit. So my warning for all of us is on pace. That we don't just kind of throttle back as we increase and go, I'm good. Now I will say, um, oftentimes there is like people who are in their retirement age or they're in grandparent, great-grandparent world, like I think of my grandmother, upper 90s, which is like, it becomes cool. Like there's this time where you don't talk about your age and there's this time where you're like, I'm still alive, suckers, right? Like that's where she is. Uh, So, like, she's still, I think just a couple years ago, just started reading through, like, like, read through the Bible for the first time. She had a two-year Bible plan, and it was the first time. She was baptized, I think I shared, like, she was baptized this past Easter. Walked with the Lord, but, had, like, had never been baptized. Went to her pastor and was like, never been baptized. She got sprinkled, not dunked, because, you know, she's not too mobile. But, you don't throttle back. You just keep after it in the ways God has provided for you in that stage and in that time. You don't stop. You don't quit. You don't, you don't go, I'm good. 
you might have to adjust. Your body slows down. Ailments come on. Like, I'm, it's no joke. The older you get, the more you talk about your body breaking. I'm already there. Yeah, yeah. Why you say, wow? Just you wait, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Just you wait, Hans. Huh? That's right. That's why we're in group together, right? You just kind of get to sober me. So I don't mean you can always run as hard at different stages of life, but you can always run as faithfully. You won't be able to do the same things. Talking to a missionary friend of mine, and he's like, I don't recover from trips the same way I used to. A flight is exhausting. And we're like, what? A flight's exhausting? Flights are fun! He's like, he's like, I just... It takes me days to recover from getting on a plane and getting off a plane. I can't do the same things I used to be able to do. So don't hear me when I say, hey, when you have to slow down, sometimes our bodies require us to slow down, but it doesn't change our faithfulness, our ability to give, our ability to disciple, our ability to train. I was, uh, just a few years ago, I was listening to Robert Coleman, who wrote one of my favorite books, Master Plan of Evangelism, and I think at that time he was in his 80s. And there he was up there doing this teaching on disciple-making in his 80s, and that's, like, that's, that's what he had to give, training up pastors. Not a ton of room left for him to just kind of get up, and you know, he doesn't move as quickly, he doesn't think as quickly, right? Like, you start to lose that. That's fine. But he knows his Lord, and he can help other people walk with him. So don't ever hit the perspective, at whatever stage in life you're in, don't ever hit that perspective where you just kind of lean back and go, I'm good, I'm good. I'm just going to ride this thing out because such a perspective should never exist for the disciple. It's always, how can I continue to live faithfully and generously with whatever God has given me? It's a hard teaching for us. We're Americans. We do not know in many instances what it is like to have little. You, most of you in this room, if not all of you in this room who earn money, are like in the top 1% of global wage earners. You're like, no, I'm not. Well, that's only because you're comparing yourself to the top 1%. But like most of you in this room are wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. And yet we just kind of look at the person beside us and go, well, I don't have that much. Well, now we're just dealing with like degrees of wealth. Your houses are bigger. I mean, even how, the average American house right now is like hundreds of square feet bigger than it used to be. You know, you kind of go back to your old house, you're like, how did I ever live in this thing? It's so tiny. I'm like, it was 1,800 square feet. What do you mean it was so tiny? Because that's what happens in our minds. Bigger, bigger, more, 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 more. And no one in the world is going to say, just be content. They're going to say, get bigger, get more, get faster, get, get all those things. Jesus says, fool. Fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Where's your heart, guys? Where's our heart? Are we storing up for ourselves or are we rich toward God? 